And welcome everyone to another Smart Money Circle show. I'm Adam Sarhan. With me today is Yang Tang, who's the CEO and co-founder of Arch Indices. They just launched a new ETF, ticker symbol is VWI, and their website is VWIETF.com. Yang, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the Smart Money Circle. Adam, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Yang, I always like to begin. Can you tell us your story and how you got to where you are today, please? Sure. So my investing journey actually started, um, you know, middle school. This was, I grew up in San Jose, California, uh, and during the middle of the dot-com boom, uh, and I was fascinated by markets. Both of my parents actually worked in the semiconductor industry. So every day I was hearing about from my parents, you know, the cool things going on in technology. Mm-hmm. So actually I bought my first stock uh, in 1999 when I was in middle school. Uh, and you can imagine at that time, you know, it was a pretty tedious process you actually had to, uh, to call a broker and they charge you something like $49.99 a trade. Yep. Uh, one, you know, that taught me a lot because one of these stocks did extremely well. The other stock uh, unfortunately did very poorly despite both management teams executing very well. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a very early lesson on in the power of expectations versus investor reality. Okay. Um, after I graduated from college, I started actually in sell-side research. I was an analyst for about 18 months, and I moved over into commodity sales. Right. And over time, yeah, and over time, my, um, my philosophy has changed quite a bit. You know, I started off as very much a Warren Buffett. We got to, you know, fundamentally analyze the company. And over time, I became much more of a, we have to have a framework. We have to be able to quantitatively justify what we do, right? There are so many stocks on this planet. For us to justify buying one versus another, there has to be an analytical framework. Mm-hmm. And that really builds kind of the decision-making process and the portfolio process. So I'm actually a relatively new entrant to being a professional money manager. I went to Columbia Business School. And after business school, I spent about 10 years doing something called uh, macro solutions. And I really worked with large banks, insurers, NASA managers on structured derivative and structured financing transactions. So when you think about, you know, kind of how a bank or an insurer or an asset manager manages a portfolio, you know, returns are actually, you know, one very small part of the equation. You know, as an example, like an insurance company, you know, invests on behalf of the policyholders. So they have to think about how their liabilities and assets match. They're thinking about the most efficient way to, number one, deploy their capital, you know, to support the business and the policyholders. Number two, they have to make sure that if something bad happens in the market, it's unexpected, you know, the, the policymakers are not left holding the bag when the insurance company goes under. Right. And we took up, so we, we started the company actually as a, almost a brainchild during COVID. We had actually a lot of people come to us during COVID uh, and they were like, hey man, uh, should I do this with my money? And you're like, uh, we haven't talked in about 15 years. So I don't really know what's going on in your life. But the short answer is no, please don't do that with your money. Uh, so Arch was really kind of our brainchild and how we will manage our own money. And the way we think about it is, you know, if we were to build a portfolio, we want to build the optimal portfolio to get us to where we want to go, which is the goal, right? And we want to do it with the least amount of volatility. Right. So the, so you have a great story. So you started in the 90s. You yep. saw you got hooked instantly, middle school, which I love. I was trading in the 90s as well. Um, and you realize there's lots of different inefficiencies. There's lots of different ways that the market, things could unfold. You realize it's almost price is a function of perception or expectation versus reality. And there's more to it than just having a good fundamentals or a good story or whatever the case is. And then you were intrigued. So you instantly fell in love. I love that. You went to school, finished school, and then you decided to continue your journey journey in the financial world. 
you worked in sales, worked on a few other things, worked in banks, weren't some, you went deep into some derivative stuff and some next level stuff. And then you decided to open up a money management firm and congratulations, by the way, entering the space and you created analytical framework to help you make better decisions than just throwing darts on the wall type of a thing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Um, it's, you know, it's very interesting because when you think about even an index, right, an index is a derivative at the end of the day, but you know how we built a derivative inside a bank versus how a, you know, large index company builds an index today is actually very night and day. And, you know, the index companies actually started as, you may know this, and your listeners may know this, but it's actually started as a newspaper business. There was a number on the front of the newspaper to sell more newspapers. And, you know, the the old school way of active management was so poor, people would rather take an arbitrary number on a newspaper than a quote unquote sophisticated money manager with a large team of research. And I think it's really important to think about that because investors vote with their dollars. You know, there's no being right or wrong. There's just either investors vote with you or they vote away from you. Well, I love that. That's fantastic. So perfect. Next great segue to my next question. Please tell us about your investment strategy and Anything you want to share in that world? Yeah, so we are what we consider a systematic strategy. So we kind of think break down the world a little bit, right? There's kind of really two main segments. There's the low-cost index, you know, product, which is market exposure. Uh, and just fundamentally, that's very flawed because market cap or equal weight shouldn't be the determination of how you build a portfolio, right? You know, up to probably, I guess, the last 10 years, being a big company was actually a bad thing. Uh, so people got around that. They go, well, I don't want just the biggest companies. I want all the companies. But if you think about it, it's actually a little bit crazy. Why should a company that you know is very small, maybe doesn't have any profitability, has really poor volatility, get the same amount of weight in your portfolio as, say, a Microsoft? Right. Uh, so that's kind of the, the problem with low-cost beta. They don't understand properly how to weight a portfolio. And you go through phases where it works, it doesn't work. Uh, the other end is you know very expensive active managers. And then again, to be fair, you know, active management is a lot of flavors. There's plenty of, you know, active managers that earn their fees, but the vast majority do not. And they don't because number one, you know, they have no way of discerning the, a proper research process in this day and age. There's so much public information. It's not like in 1970 where somebody faxed the SEC their annual report and you waited outside and then you had somebody like, Pull the report right away, reaching the numbers over the telephone, and next thing you know, you're on the floor of the exchange and you can buy quick. Right? The information in public securities is largely down to a very negligible number. Uh, so a lot of the active managers struggle with, you know, what are they like? And that's actually more of a reflection of their personal bias and their investment bias rather than an analytically proper framework. So what we want to be is we want to be the middle. We want a systematic rules-based strategy. And this really helps you two things. Number one is it's fully transparent. And number two is it reduces as much human decision-making as possible to reduce as many errors from human judgment, right? When people think about passive, it's not low-cost market cap product. It's a systematic way of allocating assets to prevent errors from human judgment. That's what we do, a low-cost product that does that. I love that. So are you using price as a primary factor to make those decisions or, or is it fundamentals or how do you come up with the criteria for this system, so to speak? Yeah, so we've developed a process which we call uh, variance optimized indexing. Um, so you can think of this as a modern portfolio theory framework, but correcting for a lot of the flaws, right? When, you know, when people think about Harry Markowitz, the man is a genius, but the man is also an academic. 
uh, and the MPT only works in the classroom. For example, modern portfolio theory assumes that you can predict expected returns and expected volatility, right? If you and I could do that, we wouldn't be talking today. We would probably be driving around in a very fancy car on a private island. Yeah. Uh, so you have to think about that. So, yeah. but the analytical framework is correct, right? What you want is you want some kind of factor of assets. So what is it quantitatively about securities that makes them attractive, right? There's a number of factors. Uh, we can go into it a little bit later. So we want the factor that we want. Or number two is we want low volatility, right? Low volatility means there's not much investor debate on what's going on. So if you think about how people go wrong with positions, they should become very volatile first before they either implode or they do very well, right? Most times they implode, sometimes they do very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third is you want to look for a portfolio that doesn't always move together, the correlation. So what we do is we look for our, our ETF is income. So we target is current income. We have dividend stocks and we have bond ETFs. So we look for stocks that have high yield, low volatility. So we call that the ratio, the performance ratio. And then we look for a bunch of assets that have high performance ratios individually, but they're not moving together at any given moment. So they're decorrelated over time, you know, and then that's how you build a portfolio to reduce volatility. So we have two angles. We always want to give the investor the exposure, in this case, income, and then we want to give them the least volatile portfolio to do that. Okay, I love that. So that's a really good point. Now let's talk about risk management. How do you handle risk? And what are some mistakes you see people make with respect to risk management, please? I think the biggest problem of risk is how to size positions. And you know what we do is we have a, you know, a weighting engine. It's not a traditional uh, matrix optimizer that you see from the competitors. And that's what the modern portfolio theory is based on. We actually built a completely proprietary system based on a tree model. So that's point one is how do you think about weighting? How do you think about methodology? It's a pretty complex mathematical process. You know, um, anyone who wants to learn more can always reach out. We have white papers and more information to provide. And number two is, you know, how do you protect as many scenarios as possible? So when you think about what goes wrong, what we do, we take into account correlation, how assets move together. Over a long period of time, assets have been shown to either be positively correlated or negatively correlated or uncorrelated at all, right? The uncorrelated assets, I think, um, generally don't exist or they only exist for a period of time. So what really goes wrong for investors is if correlation either massively goes up, right? But the market goes down. So that's a liquidity event. Uh, also a market crash. You know, like for example, yesterday is a great example. Right. Uh, you know, stocks went down, bonds went down, inflation came in hot, right? The S&P dropped 2%. You know, the 30-year bond dropped one and a half percent. So that's a pretty bad day if you're expecting bonds and stocks to be negatively correlated. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there's two ways to think about that. Number one is you can buy what we call a tail hedge, which is an insurance policy. Uh, it's usually an out-of-the-money collar, but that's, you know, they lose money on these things over time, but they happen to pay off on that day. Like a VIX call is an example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, buying, you know, calls on the US dollar is another example. Uh, mm -hmm. Or number two is, you know, you're trying to, basically build a portfolio where you know those days are going to happen, but you have enough staying power over time and you make money over time where those days are unpleasant, but you know, it's okay because it's one out of a hundred days and you're not trading in and out of this all day. Understood. So that makes perfect sense. Now, as far as stops, do you use stops at all? Or do you use it based on your expected return versus what's actually happening? Or how do you know when you're wrong and your thesis is busted and you want to get out? So at any given moment, there's your optimal portfolio. Mm -hmm. So our, as an example, our ETF rebalances every quarter. 
So we, we just rebalanced beginning of actually February 8th, about a week ago. So the portfolio changed ever so slightly. Before this, it was 81% dividend stocks, 19% bonds. Now it's 21% bonds, 79% uh, stocks. So every single day, you drift a little bit away, a little bit away, a little bit away from the optimal portfolio. But the majority of the time, it doesn't make sense for investors to rebalance because of the transaction costs. Uh, so there are some days where, yeah, you're going to you're going to need to rebalance faster. But we do a quarterly on a systematic basis because the other problem is, you know, you don't want yourself to be reactionary to the market, right? If you know, like you're down X percent today, you know, it's going to come back tomorrow. It's going to negatively decorrelate the market. Right. What's the point of rebalancing at the bottom? So you're also trying to prevent the, you know, the feedback loop of spinning your portfolio out of control. So for that reason, we don't use stops. We just do the optimization every quarter. Uh, some years, you know, it's a very little change. Some years it's a more, you know, rapid change. It really, you know, rebalances itself to the optimal market condition. Understood. So your stop, I guess your risk would be just sizing the position from the get-go and then also making sure that they're not correlated assets. So you're not too heavily involved in one specific area that could crush the portfolio. Right. Yeah. So okay. it's about wow. constructing the portfolio. And then, you know, we back tested this about five years before we launched. So yeah. we covered from 2018 to 23, which is a great number of scenarios, right? We covered the first Fed hype. We covered COVID. We covered the Fed post-COVID. And then we covered the biggest rate hike in about 40-something years. So yeah. I will point out is from the index perspective, uh, you know, the index had, so it's because it's, you know, somewhere between 70, 80% dividend stocks. Mm -hmm. Over the five-year period, we had the same total return as the high dividend index. Oh, wow. uh, which is 100 the high dividend stocks. Uh, but we only realized 71% of the volatility. So yeah. it got you to the same path over a period of time. But again, you had less volatility during that period. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, let's thank you for that. Let's shift the conversation a little bit, talk about some timeless lessons that you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, so I think the biggest lesson is you have to have a frame, right? I think many times investors go in and you know, they hear something, you know, a great idea or a great pitch. And we, you know, even, you know, the professionals have this problem, like, you know, one of my friends, you know, is telling me about a real estate fund he's looking at. And I think about myself like, wow, this is an interesting way to play the commercial real estate. And then, I'm, then I have to stop myself and go, this is great. But number one, how does this fit into my portfolio and what I want to do? So the key is just having the framework for what you want and making sure that you're playing your game and your game is important. Right. We don't want to be chasing. You know, the analogy is you're never going to catch the bus if you go to a different bus stop every two minutes. Of course. Right? You have to stay with the bus stop. You have to stay with the path. And of course, if your path changes, then it makes sense to readjust. So I would say that is the first piece. And the second piece is you have to think about risk adjusted returns. Okay. You know, and I think a lot of people, they wake up and they go, oh, I'm up 10 percent. But so and so is up 15 percent. Like. I should be doing that instead. Well, no, that's not the case, right? That guy being up 15% may have had 2x the volatility. So from a risk-adjusted perspective, you may have been better off, you know? And it's like going to the casino, right? You know, if you flip coins, you know, over time and you keep betting tails or you keep betting heads, well, you're going to break even, you know? So you want to make sure the game that you play is thinking about the risk and the path. Interesting. So what about some timeless mistakes and how do you avoid them? I think the biggest mistake of any investor is themselves, right? Is it's controlling your your fear on a down day. It's controlling your euphoria on an up day. 
uh, and not making any rash decision, right? A lot of these investment mistakes come from just pure rash decisions. You know, it's, for example, um, I think it was uh, Julian Robertson, right? Was shorting internet stocks going into the dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. And then he was right. Of course, a lot of those things collapsed, but he gave up at the peak. Obviously, I think it was different. You know, he was older, different part of life. Um, so forth, you know, it was more of moving on from life. But when you think about that, right, he was right the whole time, you right. know, but from an emotional perspective or from a life perspective, he stopped. Yeah. So if you just stick with the path, you don't let the euphoria on the days make you overly happy, uh, you know, try to have less drinks on that day, right? right. Uh, and, you know, don't let the, you know, the down days really get to you where you go, I have to reevaluate everything, right? Uh, maybe have more drinks that day. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, you know, just balance it out and then have the plan that you want to have. So what you're saying here is just, I like what you said earlier about being not being reactionary and mistakes you see people make are getting too euphoric or too depressed on up days or down days. So make sure you check your emotions. What about some advice? What's some timeless advice you'd like to share with the audience about the markets or off markets, anywhere you want to go with that or give your you know younger self? Uh, I think I would tell my younger self is, you know, you have to be very careful doing research and listening to people, right? Everyone has some kind of angle uh, and some kind of way they think, right? So number one, you know, even in this 20, 30 minute conversation, uh, you know, I've told you a lot about myself, but you don't know enough about my thinking and how I think about positions to just blindly follow my advice. So, you know, when you follow someone's advice or you follow someone's strategy, you really have to go very deep and understand what you're doing. And the biggest thing is, you know, make sure you know all the scenarios of all the outcomes or as many as you can, right? Because, you know, the problem is people think of life as a normal distribution. It's actually not a normal distribution. It's a very log normal distribution. Right. Uh, and not a lot of people appreciate distribution of outcomes. So that's, I would tell myself that and to everyone that is, you know, understand exactly the research process, the philosophy, and, you know, it, you don't have to agree with it. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. You know, a lot of people don't agree with quantitative uh, investing methods, right? You know, they don't feel comfortable with the that's idea fine. of a machine. Yeah. Like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That's you. If you're not comfortable with a strategy, you know, you're going to, you're going to misuse the strategy. Uh, and, you know, I've seen people get comfortable with fundamental investing. You know, they do very well, right? They have some kind of internal, you know, process they do, and it seems to work fine for them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I wish those people very well, and they do very well. But again, for me, I'm a quantitative person, so that would never work for me. So I would never get comfortable with that, right? So, you know, I'm just going to subject myself to a lot of human biases, right? Because, you know, that, I mean, we all have bad days. That person's going to have a bad day, right? The moment that person has a bad day, I'm going to be like, I'm out. This was a bad idea, and I knew, you know? You know, Yang, so much in the book, I talk about human biases. I have a whole section, cognitive biases as well, and um, mental walls. You ever do something, hit a wall? We all have. I yep. call them mental walls. And then I say there's a th an infinite number of ways to make money in the market. Your job is to find one that works for you. And yep. that echoes exactly. I mean, we just met. I mean, literally. So I, yeah. I love that. Okay, beautiful. Well, Yang, thank you so much for taking the time to speak today. And congrats on the launch of your ETF and future ETFs if you go in that direction and all the success you're going to have. I mean, fantastic job. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. And thank you for having me here today.